Shay Cornette and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. You can get at us on the Twitter at ChrisCandy99 and at Shea Pepler. And we got a jam-packed show for you guys today. Of course, we're basking in the glow of the Rams win in Super Bowl 56 over the Cincinnati Bengals. And we're going to have to do a wellness check on Shea Cornette's husband, Jordan Cornette, because he is an yes. avid Cincinnati Bengals fan. He was actually out there at Super Bowl 56. We'll get to that. Of course, we've got more fallout in the NFL with the Kyler Murray situation. But, Shay, I think the place that we've got to start is what's going on in the NBA right now with the focus shifting a little bit to basketball. We're starting to hear from some of the key actors in that blockbuster trade that happened last week between the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. And Ben Simmons had the opportunity to sit with the press conference at the podium with Steve Nash, the head coach of the Nets, and Sean Marks, the general manager of the Nets, And the thing that he led with was talking about how tough this situation was on him in this entire process with the holdout that led to us being to where we're at. So it's time for the progressive NBA snapshot. And, Shay, I think it was hard for all of us to process everything that was happening with Ben Simmons going back to that playoff series with the Atlanta Hawks last May and them losing in disappointing fashion. And then Doc Rivers with the soundbite of, no, not being committal on whether or not Ben Simmons was capable of being a point guard that can win a championship. But I think all of those sequences of events led to Ben Simmons now being a uh, Bowdy and a Brooklyn Net, and it sounds like he couldn't be happier about it. No comment? (laughs) Oh, I thought we were rolling sound. I was waiting for to hear from Ben Simmons. I'm so sorry, Chris. Um, Yeah, it sounds like he's ready to get back to work, and here's what I (laughs) – I'm like sitting there staring at you. I'm laughing at that whole interaction. Um, here's what I'll say. I, I I am not Ben Simmons. I don't know Ben Simmons. I don't know people in Ben Simmons' family. I don't know what he's been through. I don't know what's happened to him. I've never been a former number one overall pick in the NBA. So in terms of the way he's been coping and the way now he can look happy and seem to get settled and find a way to be a starter again and contribute to the NBA, good for him. Um And that's kind of where it stops for me. I know what Ben Simmons can do defensively. I don't know what he's going to look at when he's shooting at basketball because he had basketball's versions of the yips the last time we saw him (laughs) in the postseason for the 76ers. But I do know that he can be a dominant basketball player. And I, I don't feel like it's fair for me to pretend what happened or how it went down. I know what I think in my mind after what hearing what he had to say and the way things all went down from a 76ers perspective and also now a Nets perspective, I know what I've heard. I can take my own opinions away from that, but I don't know what he's going through. And all I can hope for him is that he returns to the Ben Simmons of old because he can make a true impact. Look, when this trade went down, Canty, I tweeted this out, and I still stand by it. Like, it annoyed me from every perspective, truly. Like, I didn't want James Harden (laughs) going to another team. I I felt like there was a lot of pouting going on on both sides. Players who, like, let's call it what it is, make a lot of money being disgruntled with their situations, and it annoyed me. But from a basketball perspective, this is best for both of these players and for the NBA as a whole. We get to see two great all-star caliber players, hopefully at their full potential, the most interested that they've been in a long time with their respective teams. We heard James Harden say, say today, that this was his number one choice a year ago, and so this is good for basketball. Having them both either uninterested, not contributing, or legitimately not even present at some of these basketball games does absolutely nothing for nobody. And so I'm happy to see both of them hopefully flourish in what will be new situations and a new breath of fresh air for both of them. Yeah, Shay, I'm with you a 1,000%. I think both of these guys are incentivized to make their new situations work. 
from a legacy perspective because the perception about who they are around NBA circles and as far as media and fan base are concerned, all of those things are on the line in in, in what we can uh, uh, potentially expect the outcome to be. Like this is all going to be about how they they go out and produce with their new clubs and right. whether or not they're capable of being able to elevate um, the, the talent and the players that are around them yeah. and be able to coexist to the point where those teams can compete at a championship level. So that's something that we have to keep in mind. But in looking at how we got to this point and essentially with the Ben Simmons situation and the mental health aspect of it, that's the part that a lot of folks are having a hard time reconciling because it was clear at the end of it that Ben Simmons had beef with the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers didn't feel too chummy about him as well. And so that's what we were left with at the end yeah. of last year in the postseason. And none of that got better over the summer. And it bled into the beginning of this year with yeah. Ben Simmons deciding he wanted to stay away from training camp initially and then showing up but not being engaged. And then all of a sudden we start to hear about the mental health issues that Ben Simmons is dealing with. And it rubbed a lot of folks the wrong way because it felt like a ploy by Ben Simmons in order to get what he wanted while still being able to cash checks for the Philadelphia 76ers. So let's listen to Ben Simmons and what he said about how fans should treat his mental health journey as long as as well as mental health awareness when it comes to professional athletes. For sure. I, I don't think people really understand the – I don't even look at it as pressure. There's just so many things going on within, you know, basketball and life as people. Um but it is what it is also. I understand the business side. I understand all that. Um, but that's that's something that, you know, people should be acknowledged and, and addressed if they do feel like they need some help in areas. Um, and it's okay to do that. Shay Cornette and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio, and that was Ben Simmons talking about his mental health. And, Shay, I think we always have to lead in this conversation by saying we can't be dismissive of somebody's mental health issues that they're dealing with. If somebody says – that they have a mental health issue, we have to treat that with the respect and, and the gravity that it deserves. And I, and I think that's one of the things that professional athletes don't necessarily get the benefit of the doubt for, especially with some of the salaries that players make, um, not just in the NBA, but professional sports as a whole. And so I think that's one of the reasons why folks are quick to dismiss Ben Simmons when he brings up the mental health issue. Yeah. The only thing I would say to that end, though, would be why is it that the first time that we're hearing about the mental health issues with Ben Simmons happens to be when he has a boiling point or an inflection point with the organization, with the Philadelphia 76ers coming into this season, if this is something that truly dates back to last year, even before the playoff series with the Atlanta Hawks. Those are according to his words. That's what he said in his press conference with for the Brooklyn Nets, that this is something that was taking place before – that Atlanta Hawks series where he famously passed up that dunk and passed it to Matisse Thybul, and it ended up being a blown opportunity at point-blank range. So that would be my only question for Ben Simmons. Why is that the first time that we're hearing about it? Yeah, look – there's some holes in the story. Let's just call it what it is. You know, mm. like h- how it all transpired, who was told what, how it was handled from both a Sixers perspective and also Ben Sp- Simmons' perspective. There's holes in the story. I don't care who you are. Like, I'm sure Ben Simmons would admit to that at this point too. Again, though, we aren't him. I don't know what happened. I don't know the order it happened in and who he told and how it grew and what contributed to it. I don't know. And, yes, that that exact play replays in my mind over and over again. I think it does for most, most of us when you think about Ben Simmons. 
But at this point now, we got to turn a page, right? We got to, like, look forward. We got to see how we can impact a team in Brooklyn. And I saw some things today, too, Candy. Like, people were like, well, he was all smiles now arriving in Brooklyn. I think it's fair to say, like, that's a naive perspective. You could be smiling and still also have problems going on. No one knows what's yeah. going on behind closed doors. Like, that's that's the unfair narrative, in my opinion. Again, there's holes in the story about who found out what when, who was told what, why didn't he want the help from the Sixers, all of the things. Also, I heard Stephen A. say this earlier today on First Take when they were listening to this Ben Simmons sounds like, why didn't he just ask for time off as opposed to a trade? Now, I get all that. But I also know from covering sports like the NFL, for instance, because that's the sport that I covered most closely in my life, that sometimes a, a change of scenery or moving to a different locker room or change of personnel or coaching change can do a lot from a mental aspect. I didn't play professional sports, but I know in my own life, when I was going through something, when I moved, it helped me. It helped me overcome something. So there's a lot to say about other people's lives. But perhaps maybe a chain of change of scenery is exactly what he needed along with some help. Maybe there was a reason. He, you know, like there's just so much speculation. But in terms of what you said, Canty, yeah, there's holes in the story. Shay, I'm a thousand percent with you. And just going back to the comments that Stephen A. made on first take, I hate to go at the big homie, but I got to <laughs> say this. I mean, mental health issues can be exacerbated by your employment situation. Right. If you're unhappy yes. at work. That can compound the issues that you're dealing with from a mental health perspective in your personal life. And so I can understand how the two can, you know, work to put Ben Simmons in a darker place and make it tougher for him to get the help that he needs in order to move out of that place. But the one thing that I will say, the one part about it that doesn't add up to me, and Shay, as somebody that spent over a decade in the National Football League, the teams that I played for all employed mental health professionals. They had the resources readily available to you if you needed to access them. I'm pretty sure that these NBA teams, if they don't employ mental health professionals, they have the resources to access those mental health professionals to get Ben Simmons the help that he would need in that regard. So to ice out the team, to not want to give them reports from your mental health professionals so they can have some information regarding your situation, your status as an employee – I thought that was a little bit off when we were st- when we were discussing the situation that was happening at training camp and him being disengaged when he was actually present. So that's the part that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. It still and- won't, but moving forward, I think this is a good situation for the Brooklyn Nets and a good situation for Ben Simmons. You look at the trade that they made last night, you had two pieces of that trade pay dividends for the Brooklyn Nets as they snapped their 11-game losing streak finally, over the Sacramento Kings. They happened. finally got off they, they finally got off the snide and Seth Curry <laughs> drops 23 points, not finally. to mention Bruce Brown having a season high 19 points and he's a guy that talked about the spacing that adding Seth Curry along with Patty Mills and those guys could potentially create and I think that's going to bode well for Ben Simmons once he's the guy that's on the ball for the Brooklyn Nets as their primary ball handler. So I think it's a good situation for Ben, but we also got to talk what happens with James Harden. And that was the NBA Snapshot brought to you by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. How much pressure is on James Harden now that he's in Philly? We'll have the answer for you. But first, a word from Vivid Seats. With the safe return of live events, you can actually be there to catch all the action in person with Vivid Seats. That's right. Every alley-oop slam, every one-timer, every sideline grab can be experienced live. 
And with Vivid Seats Rewards, you can earn rewards like free tickets. All you got to do is collect stamps, redeem, and repeat. It's that easy. From upper level to courtside, Vivid Seats has you covered for all the events that matter to you. So grab your tickets today and cheer on your favorite team from the stands. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Now you get to trade a disgruntled player for a disgruntled player. I think that the Philadelphia 76ers made an incredible move. I see Brooklyn as the clear winner in this deal. Chris Candy rocking with Shea Cornette on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. And it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And Shay, the yes. conversation, the attention, the focus is on James Harden. He actually had a chance to address the media today, had a lot of things to say, but just big picture looking at the expectations that he's going down the turnpike with. I'm not going to say it's championship or bust, but the Philadelphia Sixers got to do better than what they did last year, which means they've got to get to the conference finals. Otherwise, I'm not sure that you can justify Daryl Moore giving up what he gave up in order to acquire James Harden. Yeah, look, the Sixers have made the playoffs four straight seasons now. They haven't won the East since 2001. This is the year. Um, This is the year they've got to get it done. Joel Embiid is playing at an all-world level. You could watch one Sixers game this entire season and understand that. Adding James Harden, a focused, not disinterested James Harden to the mix – this, this team should not only compete with the Nets for Chip and to win the East, but they should be one of the favorites. It, this, to me, um, was interesting to hear from James Harden in terms of his expectations coming to Philadelphia. I know we're going to hear from him in a second. The want for him to be there, the way he thinks the structure is better there, the way he feels like he fits directly into the mold there. I had a chance to watch some practice earlier. I was watching the stream from Sixers practice and him and Joel kind of working together and feeding off of each other and Joel trying to do some of his signature moves. Like, they clearly already have a rapport there. Um So it'll be interesting to see how this all comes together. What is interesting to me in terms of comparing the two situations, which is what we're going to do, right, up until they play each other essentially in a month, uh, is the fact that James Harden is going to fit into this mix relatively quickly. We have no idea when Ben Simmons is going to be in that starting lineup for Brooklyn. And by the way, Brooklyn's eighth right now in the East. If he doesn't get in the fold quickly and they don't continue to win games, I know they got the W last night finally after snapping that was an 11-game losing streak. Brooklyn could be on the outside looking in of these playoffs. They're in the play-in tournament right now as it stands. They need to start winning some games quickly. That means Ben Simmons needs to get in the fold sooner rather than later, whereas James Harden and the 76ers are set up mighty nicely moving forward. They don't have the same kind of pressure to build. They don't. They are not right now in that play-in tournament, in my opinion. They have some time to work with some chemistry and ease the pressure a little bit. Shay, I'm with you. I think the margin for error for the Brooklyn Nets drastically changes on the other side of the all-star break. And that's probably why James Harden decided he wanted out from the situation with the other two guys as a part of that big three, just because Kyrie Irving as a part-time player puts a lot of the burden on KD and, and, uh, and James Harden and now KD and Ben Simmons. And so I think that's one of the things that you have to look at when you try to project what this Brooklyn Nets team is going to be capable of doing and where they're going to fall in the Eastern conference standings. But With James Harden, I mean, the pressure is equally on him and Daryl Morey to make this work. This is a situation where Daryl Morey mortgaged a lot of assets, not only just giving up Ben Simmons, who's under contract for four more years, an all-NBA caliber performer in his mid-20s, but also Seth Curry, 
Andre Drummond, and two future first-round draft picks. That's a lot of capital to give up for one guy. So we'll end up seeing what ends up happening with that trade. But here's what James Harden had to say about Daryl Morey, his old buddy, and the role he played in facilitating this deal happen. For me, I think, uh, you know, just the relationship that I had in Houston, uh, it was basically mutual, but everything was on me. <laughs> for me, it just it, it made sense, man. It's, it's a time where I needed to be around guys that I know that want to win and know that they are willing to do whatever it takes to win. And um, the structure here is, is unbelievable. That's the goal, man. That's the goal. Like Daryl said, the opportunity, the window is now. Joe is playing the best he's ever played. Um, you know, so my job is to come out there and help him and help the entire team win the championship this year and years going forward. Shay, the part of that that made my ears perk up is guys doing whatever it, it takes, takes to win. To win. Me too. Because that's what Joel yeah. Embiid has said all season long, and he's having an MVP caliber year. You can make an argument that Joel Embiid is the best big man in basketball. I mean, he's oh, right yeah, there. Easily. He's right there with Giannis and Jokic as one of the best big men, if not the best big men in basketball. And as of last week, he was the presumptive favorite to win the MVP this year. That's how good Joel Embiid is playing. But we also can't discount those role players for the Philadelphia 76ers and how well they're playing and them buying into the team concept. Guys like Tyrese Maxey, guys like Matisse Thibel, guys like Tobias Harris, they're all bought in on what this season could be. And now you go from having, you know, a net negative with a guy in Ben Simmons that's not doing anything to help your team to now an all-NBA caliber player, James Harden, who's a walking bucket whenever he wants it, and a guy that could potentially be the closer for you in the final five minutes of these games because we know that traditionally big men don't play that role. So, to me, I think the Philadelphia 76ers have all the makings of a team that can go on a deep playoff run, but there's a lot of pressure on James Harden and Daryl Moore to make that happen. So, uh, Harden last year when he was trying uh, with Brooklyn, he shot 47.1% from the field, okay? That was his best since he was in OKC. When he's trying, when he's focused, and when he's motivated, James Harden can help push a team over that hump. That's without a doubt. I looked back after our meeting this morning, Canty, and I was like, let me look at, at Harden's best years with each respective team he's been with. Again, this is where I get annoyed, but however, I need to put my feelings aside and just hope I'm going to see the best version of James Harden, and it's going to pay off dividends when it comes playoff times for the Philadelphia 76ers. So when he was with this, the Thunder, the best season, they lost in the 2012 finals against the Heat. Remember that? Then the, uh, with mm-hmm. the Rockets, his best season, they lost in the Western Conference Finals in both 2015 and 2018. The 2018 one felt like more of a heartbreaker right than 2015 and then with the Nets last season they lost in the East semis against the Bucks. he has sniffed those finals and sniffed a championship kind of three different times now with three different teams this is the one that has got to absolutely work or he's a ring chaser that never was able to get it done it's a different narrative to him for him than it is for some of the other greats like for example Chuck comes to mind right like in terms of greats that never want to want a chip it's a different narrative for him because of the ring chasing that has gone down from stop after stop. This has got to be where the buck stops for him, and there's no room for error for James Harden and the 76ers over the next two years or so. Well, Shay, one thing is clear. This conversation is not going away for the rest of the regular season. James Harden and Ben Simmons are both under pressure to make their new situations work. The only question is, who's under more pressure? And we want to throw that question out to the listeners on the Canty call-in line, tap in, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Who is under more pressure to make their new situation work, James Harden or Ben Simmons? But coming up next, 
What are the Rams? What does the Rams championship mean for NFL teams that could potentially want to copycat that model? Shay and I'll have the answer for you. This is ESPN Radio. Back after this. Shay Cornette and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Tap in on the Candy call in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Who is under more pressure to win, Ben Simmons or James Harden? Shay, we'll get back to that topic in just a little bit. But we do have to bask in the glow of the L.A. Rams winning the Super Bowl. A lot of great storylines coming out of it. But the storybook ending happens for Matt Stafford. Gets traded from the Detroit Lions after a decade of futility with that organization. Doesn't have a single playoff win in over a decade with the Lions, comes to the Rams and rails off four straight on his way to winning Super Bowl 56. Really impressive to see him be able to go down this path. But, of course, now that begs the question, is this a model that other teams around the National Football League that feel like they're just the quarterback away can follow? So, a few things. First of all, I would feel horrible if I'm a Detroit Lions fan. Like, man, it took him not even one full year to leave here and then go win a chip. Um, But that is what was going on in Detroit. To me, this is a really specific scenario, um, and not many teams can copy it. There are bits and pieces. Yeah, they're a quarterback away. But who at this point, A, can have the salary cap space and the the trajectory, I guess, and looking forward to an NFL draft where you've got – first-round picks that you can just trade away. That's one. But then, two, you have consistency with the head coach. And then you're able to, mid-season, go get a guy like OBJ that just happened to fit into the fold at the exact time Robert Woods, one of your top receivers, goes down. And then, oh, by the way, you also add Von Miller mid-season, a guy who makes a huge impact defensively and helps out a guy like Aaron Donald so he can perform at the ability he was able to perform and ultimately seal the deal in terms of winning a chip. It's just unheard of to me the way this all was able to play out. Sure, there's going to be teams, I guess the Denver Broncos is where I'd look, that are just one quarterback away from getting over the hump. But the Denver Broncos aren't going to have consistency with the head coaching position. I know there's a few others that you like in the National Football League, but are they going to have the space in the room to play with where, hey, I need to go get another top receiver. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go. I'm going to need to go get another defensive playmaker. I'm going to be able to go get him. This, to me, was such a rare situation in the way the building blocks came together to build. And yes, they mortgaged their future. But to me, that was just a part of the puzzle. And it's rare to find a team that's going to be able to be constructed the same way. Yeah, I was skeptical that the Rams model would even work, Shay. When they started doing this after the 2016 season, I, I was like, what is Les Snead doing? What, what does Sean McVay yeah. know that the rest of the NFL world doesn't know? Because remember, they didn't have a first-round draft pick in 2017 as a part right. of the trade to move up to get Jared Goff, Goff in 2016. Yeah. In 2018, they traded a first-round pick to New England for Brandon Cooks. In 2019, they traded out of the first round and let Atlanta move up, and they acquired extra second- and third-round picks. 2020, they traded around away their first-round pick for Jalen Ramsey. Same for 2021. And then in 2022, they shipped the, the first-round pick for Matt Stafford and their 2023 first-round draft pick. So now, currently, this team is going to go eight seasons without making a first-round draft pick. It's unheard of. And to think that you're not going to be able to add premium talent at controllable cost with the draft capital that you would have in the first round, that that is that is one of those things where you look at it and you say, how can you sustain this in a salary cap sport? So I give credit where credit is due because this is not something that I saw coming in terms of them being able to have success in this fashion. Now, 
I think one of the other things that opened the door for something like this to take place was that you had a quarterback that was immensely talented in Matt Stafford that had done right by an organization for so long, an organization that was so dysfunctional that they forced Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders to retire while they were in their primes. So I think this was the Detroit Lions doing a solid by Matt Stafford, not forcing him to live through yet another rebuild and allowing him to go to where he keeps his second home, his offseason home in Southern California. So I think that opportunity opened the door because the organization was willing to play ball with the player and allow a franchise-caliber quarterback to be traded away. I don't know that teams are going to be in a hurry to do that in the future. So, Candy, I'm just thinking of this as we're talking through it. Is there a quarterback that's kind of living in a situation – like Matthew Stafford was, on a losing team but puts up really good stats, is very capable, and maybe if it went to another situation, it could blossom. Because who saw this coming a year ago? I didn't. Did you know Matthew Stafford was going to be on his way out of Detroit and over to the L.A. Rams and they were going to put Jared Goff there? Like, I feel like we didn't see this coming at all. Is there any other scenario like this that would instantly make a team better? I, yeah. I, I mean, I, what, what would you say? Russell Wilson. Russell, Russell Wilson. Wilson. How old is Matt Stafford? He's 33 years old. Yeah. How old is Russell Wilson? 33 years old. Years old. Absolutely. Yeah. And right now the Seahawks are rebuilding, and they don't have a draft pick in the first round thanks to that trade that <laughs> that, uh, that John Snyder made for Jamal Adams, and you're talking about that being a top-10 pick. So, yeah, th- there's not a lot that you would look at on that Seattle Seahawks roster and say, okay, these are cornerstone pieces that we can continue to build around. They've got a couple of guys in D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that you feel good about. Jamal Adams on the defensive side of the ball along with Bobby Wagner. But that roster needs to be overhauled. And the way to do it for them to expedite that process is trade Russell Wilson and get a bevy of picks for it. You could absolutely do that. And Russell Wilson is the kind of quarterback that's capable of having a Matt Stafford-esque type of impact. And Russell Wilson also has a Super Bowl ring already on his resume. He also has playoff wins already on his resume. Two things that Matthew Stafford before this season didn't Didn't have. have. So it seems like it makes a whole lot of sense if a team is looking for a quarterback, if they feel like they're that piece away, to entertain the idea of trying to pry Russell Wilson from the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, because, like, look, we've thrown around Aaron Rodgers, right? I brought up the Broncos going to the Broncos or maybe the Colts or whatever it is. Even the Titans, I know, was kind of in the mix, although it sounds like that's been put to bed. Um, But I guess Russell Wilson would be the other one. However, the narrative, it feels like, with Russell Wilson, is he still that good? Which is what we were saying about Matthew Stafford, too, when he went to join the Rams. Exactly. Is he capable of getting them over the hump? And I think we all answered that question. You just have to be in the right situation with the right pieces around you. And, by the way, have a championship-caliber defense that's ready to go get a, a, a chip the way that the Rams were able to do. Yeah, Shay, I'm with you on that one. And to point out the three teams that I think have the potential to be right there, I mean, you mentioned the Denver Broncos. I think you have to include them. But also the Indianapolis Colts and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I get it. The argument against the Colts is that they don't have a first-round draft pick this year. But neither did the Rams last year when they went out and got Matt Stafford. They traded two future ones. So I think that when these organizations are weighing how they look at these draft picks, when you're a team like the Indianapolis Colts and you're picking to the in the back half of the first round, it doesn't make sense to hold on to those draft picks when you can mortgage a couple of those first-round picks and bring over a quarterback that's capable of putting your team in championship contention. I'm yeah. not saying. I'm just saying. But coming up next, your calls on who's under more pressure, Ben Simmons or James Harden, plus – Would you be able to watch your favorite team play in a championship game in person? 
We'll discuss. This is Shea Cornett and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. After Atlanta Dream owner and appointed U.S. Senator Kelly Loeffler criticized the WNBA's social justice initiative, the Dream players responded by posing in Vote Warnock shirts, lending their support to her rival in the upcoming runoff election. Raphael Warnock would go on to defeat Loeffler in the runoff a few months later. ESPN Radio celebrates Black History Always. It's Chris Candy rocking with Shea Cornette on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Who's under more pressure to win, Ben Simmons or James Harden? What do you think, Candy? Ben Simmons Uh, or James Harden? Well, I'm going to go with James Harden, but I also think he has a better chance to win than Ben Simmons, but we'll get to that in a second. Right now... We got to jumpstart the new year with Body Armor Light, the low-calorie sports drink hydrating your active lifestyle. Shop now at retailers nationwide. And, Shay, I already told you how I feel about the situation, but let's go out to Justin in Phoenix and see what he thinks. Justin, you're on with Shay Cornette and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. What up, Justin? Hey, what's up, guys? First of all, thanks for uh, getting me into the whole pizza and wing thing for the Super Bowl. Always did barbecue before, and now I'm never going to go back. So There you go. That, Kenny. There you go. Um, so I think that the most pressure is on Ben Simmons because James Harden is finally in a spot. He can play relaxed. He knows his role. He knows his game. Um, ben Simmons is still young, still trying to find his game, and we don't know how it's going to mesh with Katie and Kyrie. I mean, obviously it didn't work for Harden, so why would it work for Simmons? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it, to me, Ben Simmons is just young and we don't know what he is or what he has been or what happened really with the 76ers. So the pressure is more on him as opposed to the entire team. In my opinion, Canty, the pressure is more on him in terms of Simmons getting right than it is on the entire team to perform. We know what Kyrie and Kevin Durant can be and the uh, the other pieces around them. Like, what is Ben Simmons going to be? Is he going to return to that all defensive guy that he was? Can he shoot? Is he just going to pass the ball? If that's who he's going to be, that's fine. But, like, what role is he going to play? Like, that, we just have no idea. We know exactly who James Harden is when he's focused. Yeah, I think that's the question, right? We, we don't know what role Ben Simmons is going to play, and we don't know if the big three in Brooklyn now can coexist with one another. Mm-hmm. I, I get it from a basketball standpoint. It seems like Ben Simmons is a better fit than James Harden was just because we know Ben Simmons when he's at his best can set up everybody else to get the ball in their spot so they can do damage as scores. And then Ben Simmons can get into the paint and operate with a high level of efficiency. He couldn't do that in Philadelphia because the paint is Joel Embiid's territory. So I think from a basketball standpoint, Ben Simmons works in Brooklyn because he can facilitate the greatness of all of those shooters. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Patty Mills, Seth Curry. I mean, Joe Harris, if and when he comes back. Think about it. Ben Simmons last year set up more three-pointers for his teammates than any other player in all of basketball. So when you have perimeter shooting around Ben Simmons, you you allow him to be the primary ball handler, good things are going to happen. When it comes to James Harden, same thing. I mean, James Harden is one of the best pick-and-roll players in the NBA, and now you're pairing him with Joel Embiid, the best big man in the NBA, who can absolutely stretch the four as well and being able to knock down shots from deep. So I think from a basketball standpoint, when we break down the X's and O's, Both of them are in better situations. But I think there's far more pressure on James Harden to make his situation work than with Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons really isn't the guy that's under the most pressure in Brooklyn to make this all work out. That belongs to Kevin Durant. Durant, Let's go out to Mo in Florida. Mo, 
You're on ESPN Radio. Taking my call, long, long time listener, first time caller. I think all the pressure is on Harden. He's shown to be a uh, be a malcontent. He's played with CP3. He's played with uh, Durant before. Um, as far as Ben Simmons is concerned, there's no pressure. The expectation on him is to do nothing. He hasn't played ball all year, so anything that we get from him will be gravy. And I think that under the tutelage of Steve Nash, he will flourish. Uh, what, what has Steve Nash done as a head coach that would make you think that he's going to get the best out of players? Yeah. That's the part that I don't understand just, either. I mean, I know Steve yeah. Nash is a head coach in the NBA, so you give him credit for that. He's a two-time MVP, so you give him credit for that as a player. But I still don't know what the hell Steve Nash is as a head coach. Shay, do you? I don't know. I, I don't think anyone knows what Steve Nash is as a head coach at this point. I think that he was he, – he, to me, feels like a similar, like, version, but less than – let me point out, less than, like, Matt LaFleur. Like, I feel like we never give Matt LaFleur <laughs> his props because he had Aaron Rodgers under center, and we're like, yeah, what have you really done, though? I don't know. Like, we've talked about him for coach of the year, but then it gets pushed to the side because of the Aaron Rodgers factor. Like, Steve Nash has got all these superstars surrounding him, and even when he was hired – as a head coach, it was a little bit head-scratching. So it feels kind of like in the same vein to me. Yeah, a thousand percent. And so I think there's there's a lot of dynamics at play when you start breaking down that Brooklyn situation. And then Kyrie being as mercurial as he is adds another layer to it, um, something that the coach and the players have to adjust, account for moving forward. So I, I don't – here's what I will say. I think James Harden has the most pressure when you're talking about him and Ben Simmons because the two – are going to be forever linked with this deal that happened. But I think the bar to clear for James Harden isn't winning a championship. The Philadelphia 76ers just have to be better than the Brooklyn Nets. And given what we've seen from the Nets over the course of the last couple of years with KD and Kyrie, it seems like an explosive situation, a self-destructive situation, and until they prove me otherwise, that's what I'm going to expect for them. With Philadelphia – I mean, they've shown they can win playoff series, and this is a team now that's adding James Harden, a far better offensive player, to the mix. Knowing what they do defensively, being top 10 in efficiency, now you add James Harden, you got to think that they're going to move from the teens in offensive efficiency into the top 10 as well, and that's usually a formula for success once it comes to postseason basketball. So, Shea, for me, it's about James Harden making sure that whatever happens, the Philadelphia Sixers – finish ahead of where the Brooklyn Nets are, if that means them getting to the Eastern Conference, if that means them getting to the NBA Finals, as long as you do better than what they got going on in Brooklyn, everybody will look at this and say, you know what, James Harden was justified for wanting to leave that situation. I I, I mean, I guess. That's got to be the bar at this point. The difference is the guys in Brooklyn already have a ring and James Harden doesn't. He's consistently going to be remembered as a ring chaser until he gets that ring, which is different than a lot of other All-Stars in this league. Fair point. That is a fair point. But coming up next, can Ben Simmons overcome previous challenges and succeed in Brooklyn? We'll have the answer for you. Shea Cornette, Chris Canny, ESPN Radio.